0: Well, you know, graduation is an exciting time, and it's an exciting time, I think, for everybody because we know that summer is almost here if it's not already here, and uh, looking forward to summer of 2021 is something that's going to be exciting, but even as I asked the question today, you know, I said, what is it that is next after high school? That question seemed to take on a whole lot more meaning this year than it did last summer. You know, as as Skylar and Victoria are moving forward, and, and The thing is, is even as you look at it, this last year has been a little bit of a crazy year. Their senior year, really the last half of your junior year as well, a bit of a crazy year, and when you say, what are you going to do next, the the waters are a little bit muddy because we really don't know what's next. It's a lot more unclear this year probably than it ever has been, and uh, you know, it's interesting. I, I got to thinking about how many times I've done graduation interviews, and I've, let's see, 19 years ago, I see Jim and Sandra over here. 19 years ago, I interviewed Roki and Julie uh, uh, about what they were going to do next and now what they're in their mid-upper 30s. So it's just a little bit crazy to think about. Um, makes me feel a little bit older too, but not that much older. Uh, the thing is, is that we all have something that's coming up next. And, and how do we plan for it? Where do we go from there? And, and what does it look like? And how is God working in our lives with that? Excuse me. But about a month ago, I was, I was sitting there, and, and I got to kind of thinking through some things, and we watched a Netflix movie called A Week Away. And, and maybe you saw it, maybe you didn't, maybe a, we, we actually only got Netflix for the month just so we could watch that movie, and then we, we canceled it again. Um, but the whole premise of the movie, it is a youth summer camp meets high school musical, so it's one of those ones where, where there's a conversation that's going on and then like this spontaneous song pops up and people all start choreographed dancing all over the place. And, and it's just really great to see happen. I'm not really a musical fan, but this one was different. And the reason why it was different is the songs they used were actually songs that I grew up with. They were songs from the, the early 90s that were Christian hits. Uh, Things like Stephen Curtis Chapman who actually makes a cameo in the movie uh, with The Great Adventure and Diving In. Uh, Amy Grant also makes a cameo in the movie with Baby Baby. Audio Adrenaline, maybe you remember that song, Big Big House. Uh, There was Rich Mullins, this one I think everybody knows with Our God, it's an awesome God. And Of course, you couldn't have a movie that had 90s reference to it without a little bit of Michael W. Smith, and the song they did was A Place in This World, and you know, these were all songs that were big when I was in high school, and I got to thinking about it that before we had the amazing ability to be able to put everything on digital, we had a slide projector that somebody timed out perfectly with. The music and hit the button just at the right time. And our graduation video was "Time to A Place in This World by Michael W. Smith. And uh, when that movie came on, we were watching it. I don't think my kids understood that I knew the words. And I embarrassed myself and dated myself at the same time by singing along to each and every one of them. And as I was singing along to each and every one of them, the, 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 the picture of Michael W. Smith singing in the middle of the barren desert. On the, on the salt flats, it looks like they're out in, in Utah. He is singing, I'm looking for a reason, trying to find my place in this world. It starts off with, oh, the wind is moving, but I am standing still. A life of pages just waiting to be filled. A heart that's hopeful, a head that's full of dreams. Oh, but this becoming, it's, it's harder than it seems. Feels like I'm just looking for a reason, roaming through the night to find my place in this world. And some of you are like in your head singing along and others are like, what is he talking about? I apologize for the second group, okay? But here's the thing. He says, there's not a lot to lean on. I need your light to help me find my place in this world. And I told you that as we look today, this song written in the 90s fits just as much for our high schoolers as they graduate, just as much for our college students as they graduate. We're literally just roaming through the darkness it feels like right now to figure out what we're doing here. What is going on? And that question seems to change every, or the answer to that question seems to change every day. What are we supposed to do here? We need his light to help us figure that out. Coincidentally, not by my plan, but by God's plan, today is graduation Sunday, but it's also the day we dive into 1 Peter, where we look at the hope that is. And, And as we dive into it, we are in the gospel project. We've been talking about it now for a handful of years, and the schedule has us today jumping into 1 Peter. The last couple of weeks, we've been in the book of Acts. And before that, we've been in the post-resurrection commands of Jesus to go and make disciples, to go and preach the gospel. But as we jumped into Acts, we saw the the giving of the Holy Spirit and the empowering to us by the Holy Spirit. And now we're going to jump over to 1 Peter. We're going to take this whole book on as best we can in one Sunday, which normal people do like 16 week sermon series on the book of First Peter. So you're gonna get a lot of information today just to let you know. Next week, we're gonna kind of look at a little bit more First Peter as well as 2 Peter. And we'll jump back to the book of Acts in on Memorial Day weekend. So if you have your Bibles with you today, I would love for you to go to the book of First Peter. And as you are going there, you probably are asking yourself, well, why are we jumping ahead 30 years from the book of Acts when the church first started to the book of First Peter where you see some things that are taking place in the church. And I'm hoping that you'll see the reason why we do it today as we dive in. But one of the things you need to understand as you're flipping to First Peter 1, a little bit of insight into this book. See, Peter actually wrote this letter to suffering believers who were in the Asia Minor area. And he was encouraging them to do one thing. Stand firm. Stand firm. As a matter of fact, it's real easy to summarize this book because at the end of the letter, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 12, he says, I'm writing this to you too. Stand firm. I didn't have to really dig deep to figure out why he was writing it. And, and he's telling them to stand firm in the midst of all the things that are going on. And the main thing is, is persecution. Now, the church, again, is, is 30 years past what we talked about last week. We talked about how Peter had to go before the Sanhedrin and there were some issues and there was a little bit of tension, but the church really wasn't that big and it wasn't really causing a whole lot of problems. So they left him alone. But over 30 years, because the disciples, because the apostles, because the followers of Christ had done what Jesus had commanded them and go and make disciples, the church had grown significantly. And in the process of growing significantly, it was starting to catch the eye of many political leaders. And they weren't real fond of what was going on because it was kind of challenging the norm of what was taking place in the current culture. Many didn't like the new movement, though they tolerated it. They were just getting irked at it. And so what we will soon see as the future will lay out, we see in our history books now, that it's going to get the attention of a guy by the name of Nero. Now Nero was an emperor in Rome and Nero is famous for burning down Rome because he wanted to make it more magnificent for himself. He wanted to burn down the city, get rid of all of the the lower class stuff and make everything marble and everything amazing so he could be remembered in this way. But in the process of him doing that, he displaced lots and lots of people. Lots of people became homeless because their homes got burned down. And they were very upset and angry with him. But one of the other things that got burned down the whole process was all of their little idols that they worshipped couldn't save them. And so they were mad that this happened. And the only way that he could take that, well, he's a typical politician. When, When somebody gets mad at you, what are you supposed to do? You blame shift and blame somebody else. And that's basically where we find ourselves. He's blame shifting. And you know who he shifts the blame to? Christians. And Christians begin to become the object of persecution from everybody because it's their fault that their gods didn't save them from, from the Christian God. Or, or whatever might have happened. As a matter of fact, you'll begin to see in history that that's when Nero started taking Christians dipping them in oil or pouring oil over them, strapping them to posts in his garden and lighting them on fire to have an evening you know, light. That's the kind of things that were starting to take place. Now it's just a little bit of the persecution that they were getting ready to experience. But Peter, as he's writing this, is saying, in the midst of the persecution that you're facing now, and I'm pretty sure God was speaking through him to say in the midst of the persecution you're gonna face very soon, stand firm. Stand firm. So here is the question, how do you stand firm in the midst of all that kind of stuff? How do we stand firm when somebody challenges us? Peter answers that starting in verse 1 of First Peter chapter 1. It says this, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the chosen living as exiles dispersed abroad to Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient and to be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Now, I already told you, there's a lot of information here, so I can't break down every verse, or we're gonna be here way past when you wanna be here. But what I do wanna do is I do wanna take a look here just at these first couple of verses because it really sets the stage for the rest of this letter as well as even 2 Peter. So here's what we see. There's a couple of things, especially in that first little passage, it says, to the chosen, living as exiles dispersed abroad. To the chosen, living as exiles dispersed abroad. There's three words I really wanna point out today. That is chosen, That is exiles and that is dispersed. Now, maybe you're reading from a different translation and you have words like pilgrims, elect, and the scattered. But in any which way, as you look at it, these are the words that really are who he's writing to. First, let's look at the word chosen. Chosen. Peter is emphasizing the fact that God has chosen and selected us and these Christians. Now, we can get into a whole huge debate on what that means. People still do it today. Scholars debate about what that word means, but this is what it means to me. It means you have worth in God's eyes. You have worth in God's eyes because you have been chosen by him. Now, present-day evangelists and evangelists throughout history will say, you need to come forward, you need to walk the aisle, you need to make a decision. And I completely agree with that. I think we do need to do that. But in that discussion, we need to remember that we need to repent and that's our part in it all. But being chosen gets muddied by that and it clouds the realization that the only way that we can come to Christ is if he chooses us. The only way we can come to Christ is if he calls us. The only way we can come to Christ is if he softens our hearts. If he brings that Holy Spirit, and by the way, that's how it ties into the book of Acts and why we're jumping ahead here. But if it brings his Holy Spirit to us, we're able to repent. Peter here is talking to the chosen. He's talking to both Jews and Gentiles. And as we see that, as we see that, the second word is exiles. Exiles, they're defined as a person who stays in a place That is a stranger or a visitor. A person who is a stranger or a visitor that stays in a place. Some of you have some of those people staying on your couches at your house right now. And the reality that we see is these are the people that God or that Peter is talking to through this letter. And these exiles are dispersed abroad or they are scattered. Now some people, some scholars will say, this scattered meant that they were in Rome at one point in time, and because of all the crazy stuff that's going on in Rome, they've, they've, they've been sent to other places. So that's the reason why they're exiles in these foreign lands and all the things that we read, all the different countries that we read kind of up front. Other scholars actually say that they were there already, but because the gospel went out, they were changed. That God came into their life, changed their lives, changed their souls, and they're now living differently. They are no longer of this world. And that exiles actually means being far from their heavenly home that we're just passing through. Now, personally, I think it's a second one. I'm no scholar. We know that. But I think it's the second one because I really truly believe after 30 years, Acts 1.8, when he says, I'm going to give you power and you're going to go to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth, that they did that in the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is a result. We have exiles that are living all over in these areas. And the thing is, is now they're different. They're different. They're not who they were. And Peter talks about that and what it looks like to be different just in a few chapters later in the same book. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, he says these words. For there's already been enough time spent in doing what the Gentiles choose to do, carry on the unrestrained behavior, the evil desires, the drunkenness, the orgies, the carousing, and the lawless idolatry. They are surprised that you don't join them in the same flood of wild living, and they slander you. He says you're different, and the result is going to be people are going to look at you differently. And they also are going to slander you. You're a stranger in a strange land. And like lots of old West movies I watched growing up, there's that common phrase that was in it. Well, we don't take too kindly to strangers around here. And and that's the truth of the matter in the movies. And it's still true in this particular sense. And it's even still true today. Because this may be news to you, but people don't like different People don't like different, they're not really a fan of other people who are different than them. We see it all throughout our culture right now. Whether it be political, whether it be skin color, whether it be, pe- people have this tendency to not look upon others who are different, the same as them. If you watch the movie The Greatest Showman, isn't that the whole premise of the movie? To The freak show? And people are there and you watch, you see all the people out riding and all the things going on because they're different. As a matter of fact, you wanna go back to old 90s music again? You have DC Talk. One of the big songs that got them really going was, Jesus Freak. What will people think when they hear that I'm a Jesus Freak? What will people do when they find out it's true? It's a good question. What will people do? How will they respond? Peter is telling them here that people are going to respond differently. And Jesus actually tells us in John 15, they're not going to like you very much. John 15, verses 18 and 19 says these words. If the world hates you, understand that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. However, because you are not of this world, however, because you are different, but I have, oh, there's that word again, chosen, because I have chosen you out of it, the world hate you. You guys are outsiders. You guys conduct yourselves differently. You guys speak differently. You guys act differently. You guys even dress differently. What is the response? And here's a question for us. Should that be us? Should that be us? Should we be the ones that people see that act and talk and conduct ourselves differently? Should we even dress what does that look like? Well, 1 Peter, verse 11 of chapter 2, This, I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against the soul. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and will glorify God on the day he visits. So the question is, are they different than the world that's around them? And even more so, are we? Are we different or do we blend in a little too much? Because I put it under here and I underlined it. We should be. We should be different. We absolutely should be different. As a matter of fact, 1 John, if you go over a couple of books, 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, he says this, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possessions, it's not from the Father. But it's from the world, and the world with its lust is passing away. But the one who does the will of God remains forever. He's saying, guys, we can't hold on to all that stuff. It's all temporary. It's all temporary. Even this place that we're residing in, that we're exiles, that we're sojourners, that we're pilgrims in, it's temporary. We have a home. As a matter of fact, Paul talks about it in Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 through 21. He says, our citizenship is where? In heaven. And we eagerly wait for a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to itself. And because of that, because our citizenship is, here, is, is not here, but instead in heaven, it should change the way we act, it should change the way we live, it should change the way we react in this current place that we are in. And then... I tell you all that to set up this next verse. And if I am telling you, if we're going verse by verse, and it, we're going to be here a long time. Verse 2 says this, really tying in that last word of verse 1. Chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to obedient and to be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. That word chosen is there again. And it's saying, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. You want another debate? There's a word out there called predestination. Maybe you've heard of it, maybe you haven't. If you haven't, you're probably better off because of it, because it's not inside of your head getting in the way of us doing our job to be called to go and share the gospel. Here's the thing that I've concluded. Once again, I'm not a scholar. But the reality is I believe that humans don't know enough and understand enough about predestination to really argue about it. What we have here is this, it's enough to say with confidence that God's the one that does the choosing, that's his part, we're the one that does the responding, that's our part, and ultimately, as Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 say, my salvation is all because of his grace, not by any works of myself. That also tells me that it doesn't change my calling to go and to preach the gospel, or my calling to go and make disciples then we see the fact that it's chosen according to this foreknowledge of God the Father, but also chosen through the sanctification of the Spirit. We've seen the Spirit for the last couple of weeks, and we said that God is in the life-changing business and He uses the Spirit to do it in each and every one of our lives. And what He's doing is a thing called sanctification. Sanctification is a process of simply becoming holy. We're becoming holy, and it happens, as it says in this verse, Through the obedience, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can't just obey on our own because our fleshly desires are going to get in the way. The Holy Spirit's going to do that. And then it also says this thing about sprinkling of blood. And that's a tie back to the Old Testament ritual where the priest would sprinkle you with blood to set you apart. Well, you know what the word holy means? To be set apart. And Jesus became the ultimate sacrifice when his blood was shed and washed us pure, and washed us clean, that we are now set apart. So to recap, what Peter's saying here, as he's saying this to the suffering, he's saying this to the dispersed, the ones who aren't like anybody else, the ones who are strangers in the strange lines, this is who you are. This is who you are. You are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient and sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. And you know what we do because of that? We praise him. We praise him and we thank him. And that's exactly what Peter does in Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth and a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Now here, verse three through five, Peter is highlighting a number of things that should give us joy as Christians. These are the things that should bring us joy, and Peter lists them, and they all run together. As a matter of fact, if you read verse three all the way through verse 12, it is one sentence in the Greek. He was really excited, and he laid it all out there for us, but here's the things that we see in three through five. We first see great mercy. We see new birth, we see the living hope, we see resurrection, we see imperishable inheritance, we see the the power of God to protect us, and we see salvation being revealed. These are all great things. and I want to break down just real quick on a couple of them, and I want to take a little bit more time on one of them, but that is this. First, great mercy. Great mercy is a theme that I think all of us can identify with. It's been defined this way with grace and mercy. Grace is getting what we don't deserve, but mercy is not getting what we do deserve. Do you know what you deserve, and do you know what I deserve? Eternity without God, because we have sinned or rebelled against Him. Think about how often we fall short. Think about how often that we have impure thoughts or impure motives, and then God shows mercy. Think about how often that that we say or do unkind things, but yet God shows mercy. We sometimes even commit terrible sins if there's actually a, a gauge for sins, but God still shows mercy. He withholds his righteous judgment that we deserve, and that, my friends, is great mercy. Can you find joy in that? I sure hope so. That we have been saved by a God who shows that mercy. The second thing we see is new birth. That we are made new again. That the old self is gone. The new self has come. And in it, there's a living hope. There's a living hope that reminds us that we have an expectation of the future. Not based on the good deeds of some martyr, but instead based on the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Savior. We have a living hope. And as we begin to look at that, I just want to take a little bit longer to look at this living hope because the hope that that Peter is speaking of is not wishful thinking that's so often associated with the, the words of hope today. I sure hope it doesn't rain. I just washed my car. I sure hope I pass this test because I have to graduate. I sure hope, and we have this idea that there's a hope that's wishful. But that's not the hope that Peter's talking about. As a matter of fact, the Greek term for hope that he uses in this passage is an eager, confident expectation. He's expecting it. This hope is of the believer, and it's not just a living hope, but it's alive. And there's a difference between just living and being alive, and I think we all know that. For the last year, I feel like we've just been alive but i mean just been living but but to come to life and to have that life behind it all the csv or cev the contemporary english version actually translates the phrase this way it's a hope that lives on the the new living translation says we live with great expectation This is what we see. Unlike the dead hope of this world, the living hope is energizing. The living hope is alive. The living hope is active in the soul of the believer. And it's changing us and changing the way we see this world. We have hope and Peter has hope in the living Jesus Christ. So remember that the apostle is speaking to Christians who are, are scattered abroad who are suffering persecution. In his words, we meant to encourage them in their trouble. He was encouraging them through their things, saying, guys, your future is secure because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Your hope is in the victory over death and that resurrected life. That is where we find hope, not in the things of this world. You're living differently. And if something happens in this world, we get by it because it's only temporary. He says this living hope It's anchored in Christ. And that's one anchored in the past, that Jesus rose from the dead. That's when he talks about the resurrection from the dead. It's also continuing the present because Jesus is alive and it endures throughout the future because Jesus promises eternal resurrected life. Living hope also enables us to to live to, to live without despair as we encounter all the sufferings and all the trials in this present life. As a matter of fact, Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18, these words. Therefore, we do not give up, he says. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day, for our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but instead on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. The object of our living hope that is described here in 1 Peter chapter 1 is alive. But he also says this in verse 4, it's an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. See, we have an inheritance that will never be touched by death. It will never be stained by evil, and it will never be faded over time. It's death-proof, sin-proof, and age-proof. It's an imperishable inheritance. It's imperishable. It's not like the garbage of this world that will eventually either fill up a landfill or a goodwill. It's it's not that. You know, I I got to thinking that heaven, that eternal forever inheritance is there for us. And and when I think of the word forever, I think of the movie The Sandlot. Forever. Forever. do you understand how long forever is this is the inheritance that we have through the hope of Jesus Christ and I've got to thinking about this there's a lot of things in this world that I've liked and maybe you fall in the same boat But I like cars and I've had a good handful of cars in, in my lifetime but there's one that stands out to me as the one that I love the most It was 10 years ago that I sold it, and I still kick myself today for doing it. It was a 1996 Ford Bronco. Eddie Bauer edition. Had all the bells and whistles on it. Some guy had done all the stuff that I would would have done myself, and then he sold it to me for fairly cheap. And it had 87,000 miles on it when I sold it. And I'm like, why did I sell it? Why did I sell it? It had the 5.8 liter gas guzzling Yes, the gallons per mile instead of the miles per gallon engine. Yes, that's the one. And I loved that truck. And I sold it. And I think to myself, why did I do that? But that was 10 years ago. You know how much stuff's changed over 10 years? Did you know that Broncos are actually known behind the wheel well as well across the bottom of the tailgate to get these little rust bubbles because that's where the water sits at? And actually, they were starting to show up when when I sold it. There's something about the Bible when it says, hey, don't store up your treasures on earth where, what? Moth and rust destroy. But instead, store up your treasures in heaven where those things can't touch it. Think about that car. I could have put all the time, all the effort, all the money, everything I had to keep it looking good, eventually it's going to fall apart. What if I took all the effort, all the money, all the time that I had to invest in something that never falls apart? The glory that is found in that imperishable inheritance. After absolutely nothing can take it from us. That's what it tells us next. The inheritance is fail proof because God guards it and preserves it for us in heaven, wholly secure. Nothing can undermine the certainty that we have in Christ. Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39 says, Nothing can separate us from Christ. And it goes through a whole list of all the things it might try. But it can't because God is protecting us. Let's be honest. People can't survive long without hope. I actually read a thing that said you can survive 40 days without food, four days without water, four minutes without air, but barely four seconds without hope. I thought to myself, that's true. That's true, we just can't survive without hope. Hope keeps us going through painful experiences and fears of what the future may hold. Hope gives us that in a fallen world where people face poverty and disease and hunger and injustice and disaster and war and terrorism and all the things that go with it. We need a living hope because all of those other things will take our hope away if we don't have a living hope. The Bible actually tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12, that those who don't have hope in Jesus don't have hope. We have a living hope. Believers are blessed with a real hope and substantial hope that is found in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. By the power of God's word and indwelling of His spirit, that living hope actually strengthens us. It strengthens our minds, it strengthens our souls, it changes our thoughts, it changes our words, it changes our actions. It makes us sing out that old hymn, Because He Lives. If you grew up in the church, you probably know it. Because he lives, guess what? I can face tomorrow, because he lives, all fear is gone. Because he lives, I know, I know, I know who holds the future. And I can face that future just because he lives. That that song, I I mean, it might just go along with the Bible. That might be a reason why we sing it. When we're praising God because he lives, the believer's living hope is solid and secure. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 19 and 20 say these words. We had this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. Jesus has entered there on our behalf as a forerunner because he has become the high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Jesus Christ is our Savior, our salvation, and our living hope. And I tell you that to go back now to verse 6 of First Peter chapter 1, where it says, Rejoice in this. Rejoice in this. These things I just listed out for you. Rejoice in this. Even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials. So that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which though perishable is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We rejoice in God's blessings, but at the same time, it says here, We're going to suffer grief in various trials. And sometimes that grief in the various trials, and I think every single one of us know this already, it kind of cools off that joy that we have. It kind of puts the water on that flame of the joy when we have that grief. Or if you have the King James Version, it actually says the heaviness. The heaviness of these various troubles in life. And these are normal trials. These are things that just happen to all of us, and then there's also the persecutions that we see as Christians. The reality is, and I'm pretty sure that all of us are in the same boat, if we had to choose, we would choose cruise control. Just go through life, cruising. No ups, no downs, everything is good, but the thing is, is there's no growth in cruise control. Our faith grows when we encounter circumstances that push us out of our comfort zone and force us to rely more and more on God. As we're pushed against Jesus, He literally makes an impression on us, and we become more like Him. The trials in our lives, they test our fa- our faith, but that's a way to form us that God uses into who He wants us to be. Without them, we remain spiritual babies. But with them, we grow into that full stature of Jesus Christ that we need to be. So, Here's the thing he's trying to say here. We can endure these temporary trials because we're becoming more and more like Christ. We look beyond who we are right now, and we see that living hope. Peter actually compares it to gold, and he's talking about the gold process, and it's funny. I was putting the slides together this morning, and Bailey's sitting next to me. She's like, what are you doing with that weird picture of, of like fire and stuff pouring out of it? And I said, well, that's how they make gold. It's a smelting process, and I said that not make gold, but how they purify gold. Excuse me, I don't think we make it. Well, maybe our government does, I don't know. But um, the, the, the thing is, is we purify that gold and what they do is they heat it up to a, a huge hot temperature and the weight of the metal itself sinks to the bottom and the stuff called the dross or the impurities float to the top and then they skim those impurities off and they go through the process over and over again until they have what is the perfect piece of gold all impurities removed from it all but it has to go through the fire to get to that place that's why i'm showing you this because sometimes we have to get through the fire to have those impurities removed from our life and we become more and more like christ as a matter of fact warren Weersby, who who does all kinds of bible commentary said this he said a realist is an idealist who has gone through the fire and been purified a skeptic is an idealist who has gone through the fire and gotten burned when I saw that, I said, well, where's your hope? If your hope is in nothing but the living hope of Jesus Christ, you're going to come through and you're going to be purified. But if your hope is in anything else, you're going to get burned. And we see people who get burned when their hope is in the wrong things and they're angry at God for some reason when he's trying to form them and who he wants them to be. And they say, I don't want to be like you. is in our rebellious state that we do that? but he says, I want you to be rejoicing in this because what's going to happen next in verse nine or verse eight and nine, he says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you're not seeing him now, you believe in him and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy because you're receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And as I read this and I see, Peter writing this in that same one long run-on sentence, I can see Peter almost being blown away at the joy that is inspired in these believers. And the reason why I think he's blown away is, is he got to walk with Jesus. He got to talk with Jesus. He got to witness all the things that Jesus did. He was on the inner, inner circle. And he had joy. But these people, who had probably never seen Jesus, most of them probably had never seen Jesus, who had only heard through stories and heard through testimonies and seen lives change and met Jesus Christ, they have this inexpressible joy. And It's like, how in the world do you have joy? You've never even seen him. That's what he's saying here. Even though you haven't seen him, you love him. And I have to ask us, have you ever experienced that joy before even though you've never seen Jesus? And I'm not just talking about some emotionalism because we sing the right songs and I say the right words to really you know, manufacture emotion. I'm talking about when you have that connection with God through the Holy Spirit. When you're singing those songs that, that uh, uh, I heard you clapping, Rick, just as we're singing Graves into Gardens, and, and you know, the, 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 when the tears just come down your face, it's uncontrollably, nothing you can do, nothing you manufactured, but it's you connecting with God and saying, God, I praise you, even in the middle of all the junk I've had to go through, that you're making me like you, and I love you for it. And that's why it says you're receiving the goal of your faith that's the salvation of your souls. Because that freeing work is, is coming on in your life of Jesus Christ in your soul, and you're experiencing it, and you're enjoying it right now. And here's the thing, I think. That's just a brief glimpse of what we're going to see in heaven. Just a brief glimpse. I always hear people talk about it at a, at a funeral. Well, they're smiling down on us like, no way. They, I'm going to break news to you. They don't care about us. They're face to face with the almighty creator and they get to worship him. I mean, we say it for ourselves that they're smiling down, but when I'm in heaven, my focus is on God. This world is passing away and everybody else is going to join me real soon. I'm excited about that. But that's the reality that we live in. That that God is changing us and someday we're going to be able to worship with that connection that we just took to experience every once in a while here. Then Peter wraps up that super long sentence. And I'm not going to dive into it because I just looked up and it's already 1108. Basically what he says is this. You got it better. He talks about the prophets. He talks about the prophets and he talks about the angels and he says those prophets, they longed for grace. They longed for mercy. They wanted that hope. They wanted it, you got it. Rejoice in that. And the next word we see in verse 13 is therefore. You know what a therefore is for? He said, this is what we're going to do. We're going to put all this into practice. This is what we're going to do because of that long run-on sentence and all the things we have. Therefore, this is what you're going to do. And we're going to talk about that next week. So I want you to come back and join us for that. But today, as we wrap up, my challenge for you here, for our graduates, for those of you who are watching online, is this. Live different. Live different in the power of the Holy Spirit. Be transformed, be sanctified, be changed, be changing in your life, but then go and change the world around you. When God is working in you, you're gonna be different. They're gonna notice, use it as a testimony and share the gospel. Let's pray together. Father, thank you again for who you are. And thanks for the word that you gave to Peter to this church who is suffering, this church who is hurting, this church who was dispersed, but God, we know they were just dispersed from your eternal home. God, that you had them there for a purpose to help that church grow as it continued from Jerusalem to Judea, to Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. We see it in action. And God, because they were different, they were persecuted. And that persecution was only gonna ramp up. But God, it was so amazing to see them take that stand and stand firm. Today, we want to be challenged by your word to stand firm. We want to be challenged by your word to live different. We want to be challenged by your word and only the Holy Spirit can speak to us. We can't do it on our own. God, we ask for you to do that today. We pray it all in your name. Amen.